you brought your Bibles, please take them out and open them up to the book of Hebrews this morning. We'll get back to Acts next week, but if you would, we'll be in Hebrews. How many of you, I'm asking this because if you don't, many of your children or grandchildren will ask later, but remember Paul Harvey? Yeah, Paul Harvey. I'm gonna, I want to start off by sharing a story that Paul Harvey shared, and I say that right up front because I'm not going to do it anywhere near the justice that Paul Harvey did. So he was the master storyteller, but he tells the story of a, of a man one evening as one Christmas Eve, and he was sitting around with his family. They were all getting ready to go to the Christmas Eve service, and he had decided already that he wasn't going to go. He was just really struggling with this whole idea of God. Why would God, if there is a God, why would he step out of heaven, out of glory, and become a man? Why would he subject himself to all of this, and what would be the, what's the point of it anyway? And he just kind of made his mind up. So the time was approaching when everyone was going to leave, and he said to his wife, you know what, honey? you guys go without me. I'm just going to stay home tonight. Well, soon as they left, a blizzard came through. I mean, it was already coming. It was getting cold and windy, and the blizzards had started blowing, and they lived on a, on a farm, big big property, barn, and all of this. And, and so he was sitting, got a, got a fire going by the fireplace, and was just cuddling up with a book as he was reading. All of a sudden, he heard a thud against the window. And then he heard another one and another one and five or six more. And all of a sudden he went up to the window and he looked out and there were a bunch of birds that were in the snow now trying to get out of this, this crazy weather that had blown in. They were trying to fly in and they were running into the window. And he felt compassion for these birds. And so he, he went outside and, and tried to figure out how he could get them over to the barn where he knew that they would be warm and safe. So he goes over and he opened up the doors to the barn and he was trying to shoo them over there and they kept running from him. So he said, I know what I'll do. I'll go get some breadcrumbs. And so he went and got some breadcrumbs and started trying to lead them over. And they just, they weren't following. They weren't doing anything with it. And so finally he decided to get a, his big coat on and go outside and try to you know, do this and try to scare them over, but he realized he was scaring them. They were going in every direction except to the barn. And finally, he was in his frustration. He finally said, man, if I could only communicate with these birds, if only I could become one of these birds, and then I could lead them to the safety of the barn. And then it dawned on him. Oh my goodness, that's why he did it. That's why God did that. So that he could come and he could communicate to us the love that he has, the compassion that he has for us. And he fell on his knees and he rejoiced and gave glory to God there. And I say that to start off to this morning as we begin in Hebrews. And we're going to look in Hebrews chapter 2. But I want to start off with how the author of Hebrews begins the book of Hebrews in chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 1, he says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Here we see the, the author of Hebrews telling us this great truth that we on this side of Christmas can look back to and understand this truth that those on the other side of Christmas, pre-Christmas, didn't understand. 
the, 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 the prophets looking forward to this. When Isaiah wrote, Emmanuel, God with us, it didn't compute completely with him. Peter tells us that, that those things were recorded for our benefit. They didn't understand. They did understand that in the future, they're going to understand this. But they, they looked forward to a promise, but didn't understand how it all comes together like you and I do. And the author of Hebrews tells us here that Jesus came fully God. Notice the exact representation of God's nature through whom he created the world. We see God, we see God here in Jesus, the creator. We see that he upholds all things by, the power, by his power. Jesus, the sustainer. We see that he made a purification for our sins. Jesus, the redeemer. All of these things in Jesus. God with us. Now, if you were here last night, I posed the question, if we were to ask God why Christmas, he would answer, there were a few of them, because I told you so. <laughs> but there's always a reason, as I said, for a good parent, a good father who would use that when they're speaking to their children. There's reasons behind the because I told you so or because I said so. And so if you would look with me now to Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 10, it says, for it was fitting for him for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children whom God has given me. Verse 14, therefore, since the children, that is you and I, share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. That through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Verse 17, therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Right off, the author tells us here in verse 10 that it was fitting for him. It was fitting for God to do this. It was fitting for God to send his son in this way. That means that it was right, that it was appropriate, that it was consistent with God, consistent with the nature of God, consistent with the love and the mercy and the grace of God for things to play out the way that they did. It says that, that it was consistent with him that the author, Jesus, would be perfected through sufferings. That word perfected means to be made complete. It does not mean that he needed to become perfect. Jesus never sinned, we know that. But perfected in this way, as we have pointed out, that, that he became one of us in all things, in every way, yet without sin. 
he had to be like us in all ways, as we'll get to at the end here as we tie this up. But he couldn't just come into creation as an adult because he would have missed a whole lot of us in the room this morning. How many, are, how many aren't adults here this morning? I see. Well, yeah, okay. How many are under 18? <laughs> you see, the amazing thing about Jesus being born a baby is that the living word had to learn how to speak. That the one who created, it tells us the sustainer of all things, the one who holds all things together in his hand had to learn how to use his hand. He grew and learned, it says, learned obedience through the things which he suffered. He went through suffering. He went through everything so that he can relate to everyone in this room. Because Jesus was born a baby, that means, though the scripture doesn't tell us, we know for a fact Jesus was three years old one time. Jesus was five years old. Jesus was seven years old. And if you're here today and you're a child and you're, you're under the age of 10, 12, 15, Jesus was your age at one time. And he went through the things that you go through. He understands the struggles that you have in your life right now that you at times might say, your parents, you just, you just don't understand what I'm going through. Jesus understands what you're going through. He chose to become a baby so that he would be three, five, seven, nine, so that he can relate to everything that you're going through. All of the difficulties that you face in your life right now, no matter where you are in your life, Jesus went through those things. He had to deal with the ground that was cursed because of sin. Jesus had to work and to toil just like you. He had to cope with the loss of a loved one just like you. He had to face disappointment and discouragement when people let him down, when people didn't behave the way that they should, when people spoke badly about him, just like you. Hmm. And children, he had to learn obedience, it tells us. He followed his parents. He listened to what his parents said, just like you. Now all of you that were raised your hand earlier when you said, I'm a, I'm a child. That, to perfect. In verse 10, it says, in bringing many sons to glory, that's us, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. The author. It's interesting that word literally means the captain or the pioneer. And we understand what a pioneer does, right? A pioneer is one that goes out before. A pioneer is one that goes out in front. And that's what the pioneer of our faith did. He goes out before us. He doesn't stand in back shouting orders. He goes out before us, setting an example for us to follow in his footsteps. And again, perfected because of all that he went through. Complete. He can be our complete captain. He can be our complete pioneer, that one that goes before us, because he experienced those things. He went out before them and goes before us. And this next part in in verse 11, to me, 
blows me away every time I read it. It says, he's not ashamed to call them brethren. We all have those people in our family or extended family or whatever, right? I mean, there's the brunt of most jokes, right? <laughs> that one, that, that uncle or whatever. Yeah, we just don't talk about him. Jesus said, it doesn't matter what you've done. I'm not ashamed to call you brethren. It's interesting, the words now in verse 14 is kind of do a little survey through here. For since the children share in flesh and blood, that's, that's us, we share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. That word share is the Greek word koinonia. And you've probably heard that used perhaps as far as groups gathering together, but it, it carries with it this idea of that we have something in common. Since we have this in common, but the word that's used there, likewise, he also partook, is a totally different Greek word, and it means to take hold of something that is not naturally your own. So Jesus, in order to get, be a part of our fellowship, to be a part of our koinonia, embraced something that wasn't naturally his own. You see, by, by nature, we are flesh and blood. But by nature, Jesus was not. But by nature, Jesus is divine. <laughs> by nature, we are not. But he takes hold of our, this koinonia to become a part of us so that, guys, here's this, so that we can take part in that divine nature. That is what Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1. For by these he granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. See, the problem, though, is that because of our nature because of our human nature we also have inherited and fully practiced and participated in our sinful nature and because of that we're separated from the divine nature so that is again why did jesus have to come and do what he did well it tells us in verse 14 and 15 therefore since the children share in flesh and blood he himself likewise also partook of the same that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death that is the devil and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. We're all subject to, the, to slavery, to sin and to death because of this human nature, our sinful nature. But he took on our human nature yet without sin and then through his death rendered powerless the power of sin and death over us. He destroyed the power of Satan, the weapon that he holds over us, the, the threat of death, that, that weapon, destroyed it with a much more powerful weapon, eternal life. But here's the key with this and why this, why Christmas? Because you can't have eternal life without resurrection. Paul tells us that in a couple of places. Can't have eternal life without resurrection, but you can't have resurrection without death and you can't have death without life jesus couldn't god can't die so jesus had to become one of us in order for him to take our place in death 
And then through resurrection, we then inherit eternal life. He went through it completely and came out victoriously on the other side. And we are the beneficiaries of that victory. In verse 17 and 18, we get another piece of this beautiful puzzle. It says, therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. There's some who believe and actually teach that because Jesus being God and God can't be tempted to do evil, that Jesus was never really tempted to sin. But that doesn't line up with what the word of God tells us. It's again, why he became a man, why he took on our nature, our human nature. He never, he never stopped being God, but in this, in this mystery of Jesus being fully God and fully man, he put aside certain aspects of being God so that he can relate fully to us. Isaiah verse, chapter 40 verse 28 tells us that God never gets tired. How many of you are thankful for that? God never takes a nap. But Jesus got tired. When he took on humanity, when he became one of us, he got tired. Remember the story? He was so tired one day, he fell asleep in the boat, and the storm didn't even wake him up. The only the cries from his disciples woke him up in the boat. Can't, God, God never gets hungry, but Jesus did. He took on that nature of ours. And it tells us that, that he was tempted. This, Satan tempted him in the wilderness. We know that. And Satan wouldn't have gone along with the charade if he knew that that wasn't a possibility. He faced temptation, but de fully defeated it. Because of that, if you just turn just a page over here in Hebrews chapter 4, In the verses we just looked at, spoke of Jesus being our merciful and faithful high priest. In chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us, lay hold, let, us lay, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore... Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Guys, that's, that's what we have available to us because of what Jesus did is we have access to the throne of grace anytime, all the time, to help in our time of need. Because he faced whatever it is that we might face, yet faced it victoriously, we come to him at any time when we are struggling and in need. Any time we're facing a temptation in our life that we struggle with, we can bring it right to the throne of grace and receive what we need to have victory in that moment because he went through it all. Because he faced that victoriously. 
turn over a, a, the next chapter. Keep, again, here, we'll, we'll come back to Hebrews in a moment. Well, actually, keep your finger here. We'll go back and forth for just a second. To James. The next, Hebrews, James, the next book. Verses familiar to most of us, no doubt. Again, James begins his letter to Christians. Verse 2, chapter 1. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That word trials that James uses there is the same word that is used back here to speak of temptations or being tempted. That word that is used there, it's, it's interchangeable. Trials, temptations, tribulation, things that we go through. And that word perfect that is what used here is the same word that's used back in chapter, chapter 2, verse 10 that we just looked at. Jesus, again, encountering being complete like us, we have this opportunity to become complete in our walk with him as we walk victoriously in the trials, temptations that we face. Again, in his power. And it all comes back to, again, guys, he was born a baby. Grew up through young adulthood, into adulthood, lived a perfect sinless life, faced all of these things that you and I face on a regular daily basis. He went through all of that willingly, victoriously. He's our, our champion. He's our one that is out in front of us, our pioneer, the one that goes before us. He's not in the back yelling and screaming. He's not browbeating in front of us, but sympathetically, empathetically saying, I know what you're going through. I've been there. I know what you're feeling. I've encountered that myself. I know how hard it is because I did it. So that, so that, guys, we can come to the aid of those who are tempted as well. You see, here's how this thing works in and through us now. As Christians, when we go through those things, when we go through those trials and those temptations, and we, we go to the Lord and we receive that, that what, what it is that we need, when we're going through a trial or a difficulty and we receive comfort from him, he then can use us to reach out to others. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. He uses us when we go and we receive what it is that we need in our time, and he promises that is available fully at any time. Then we are now available to be used by him to reach out to others. Guys, we have this gift, we have this truth, and we need to share it, come alongside one another, yes, but also reaching out to the community and our family and those that we have in contact with that are struggling, that are going through, that don't know this, this beautiful truth. 
this comfort that comes to us. I love this. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. Yes, we will suffer. As a matter of fact, that's a promise that we will go through suffering. There are those that will be out there to tell you, hey, come to Jesus and everything is a smooth ride from then on out. I'm here to tell you, that ain't true. (laughs) But here's what the word does promise. He says, my grace is sufficient. Regardless of what you're going to face, regardless of what you're going to go through, he said, my grace is sufficient. And here we see that though the sufferings are abundant, so is the comfort. Always enough. But here's the deal, guys. Don't be a comfort hoarder. We're called to give that comfort out. It'll never run dry. His well never runs dry. It will continue to come. His grace, his, his mercy, his love, his comfort. But guys, we're called to be that comfort broker. <laughs> Our merciful back in Hebrews 2, our merciful, faithful high priest. Merciful. He's, he's actively compassionate. He's not just one that, that we have to go and beg to receive it. He's actively compassionate. He's faithful. Absolutely always faithful. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. His faithfulness is not dependent on ours. Praise the Lord. (laughs) And he's our high priest. Again, to come back where we kind of started with this, because it, guys, it's, it's the full circle. Our high priest, the role of the high priest was be to be the mediator between Almighty God and man. But no one could fulfill that role completely. No no mere human being could, could do that. Because to be a true mediator, you have to fully represent both sides. There can be no bias. There can be, you have to fully represent both sides in order to be an effective mediator. And Paul, therefore, writes to Timothy and he says, for there is one God and one mediator also between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. See, a mediator needs to be linked fully to both sides. That's why, again, this great mystery, Jesus, fully God, yet fully man. And as, a, as I mentioned at the beginning, the prophets of old, when they're pro- counting about, they're looking forward to this, they didn't fully understand that. They didn't get how that works. Emmanuel, God with us. What, is that, what does that mean? Well, here it is, Jesus now speaking to us, God speaking to us through Jesus, the full, full representation, absolutely perfect, fully God, fully man, and in that, he can be our mediator. And he can be God, the mediator for God, fully on both. Now, here's, here's, the, here's the problem, though. We stand guilty. We can, we can argue our case all we want. We lose because we're going up against a holy and righteous God. So there was only one possible solution. 
And that was the perfect man, Jesus, giving his life in exchange for ours. Who gave himself as a ransom. He became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. See, the story of Christmas doesn't end with a baby in a manger. It doesn't end with a, with a, a, a little child growing up and, and, and learning how, how to talk and how to walk and how to interact and, and learning obedience with his parents, doing all of these things. It doesn't end with that. It doesn't end with a teenager. It doesn't end with a young adult. It ends with the perfect Son of God dying on a cross, shedding his blood to pay for your and my sin. completely, fully paying that price. And then three days later, rising again from the dead in that ushering in the fact that you and I can have a fully restored relationship with God and live with him forever. That's why Christmas. And if you're here today and you've never accepted that free gift, to you, Christmas has just been this neat story about Jesus. Okay, I get this. And okay, maybe I embraced this, this, this idea before. But you've never made him Lord of your life. You've never invited him into your heart to be your king. Accepting the fact that he paid fully your sin debt that you owe. I want to invite you to do that here this morning. Because the greatest gift ever given has been given to you but you have to receive it. Just like any other gift you might get today. If you don't open it and you don't receive it as your own, it does you no good. God himself wants to give you this gift today, but you need to receive it. So I want to give you that opportunity right now. Would, would you all please stand with me? And let's... Let's pray first, again, if that is you here this morning and you want to make Jesus Lord of your life, it's a matter of responding to the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart right now. And you simply go before him and say, God, I, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I need a savior. And I thank you for revealing this truth to me now. I don't fully understand it all, but I understand I need a Savior in Jesus. I believe you're that Savior. I thank you for becoming, becoming one of us, for choosing to do that, for choosing to, to go through suffering and pain, to experience loss and go through all of those things. Yet I thank you most for giving your life for me dying in my place. So right now, I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to forgive all of my sins and to give me that gift of eternal life. I receive it now. And Jesus, we are here again this morning to just praise you for all of that truth. God with us. And Lord, I pray as we just meditate on that again a little bit more here this morning that we take that truth with us today and we embrace that 
fact that you went through all of it, not only to redeem us, but so that you can relate to us in everything that we face, everything that we go through. And so, Lord, as we sing this morning and these last couple songs of worship to you before we leave, Lord, we give you all of those things that we're struggling and dealing with Your word, as we read now, says that we can bring all of these things to you. We can come to the throne of grace and we can find help in our time of need. So whatever it is we're dealing with, Lord, we bring it to you right now. We thank you that you never turn us away. And Lord, as we receive comfort through all of the things that we deal with, Lord, give us opportunity to share that comfort, to share that truth with those around us. Give us appointments, even today, Lord, as we gather together with, with family and, and friends to share what this day really means and all that it means for us and all that, all that it means forever. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name.